The Take on Duchenne podcast is dedicated to educating and raising awareness of Duchenne muscular dystrophy, or DMD, a rare and progressive genetic disease affecting muscle function. We bring scientific leaders in the field of DMD together to discuss and share knowledge, insights, and perspectives to support the continuous education and awareness of this disease. This series is brought to you by PTC Therapeutics, a global biopharmaceutical company focused on improving patient lives who are affected by rare diseases like DMD through innovative therapies, earlier diagnosis, and improved standard of care. The information presented in this podcast is intended to be general in nature and is not medical advice. This should not replace or substitute speaking with a healthcare professional. If you are a patient or caregiver, consult your care team with any questions or concerns regarding medical conditions. Welcome to a special episode highlighting women and Duchenne. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with three women with strong ties to Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Each has a set of unique challenges to overcome in order to manage this rare disease. Dr. Linda Kripe is a pediatric cardiologist at Nationwide Children's Hospital and a professor of pediatrics. She's been in the field for about 20 years with a passion for cardiomyopathy associated with Duchenne. We also have Elizabeth Floyd, a military spouse and mother of four young children. Elizabeth is also a carrier of Duchenne, along with her 12-year-old daughter. Her son was diagnosed in 2018 at the age of five, which is when her family's journey with DMD began. Finally, we're joined by Dr. Ellen Welsh, Chief Scientific Officer at PTC Therapeutics, whose ongoing efforts to bring therapies to patients with rare disorders like Duchenne is life-changing. We'll start the conversation with Dr. Kripe. Dr. Kripe, it is a privilege to have you join us. What does it mean to be a carrier of Duchenne muscular dystrophy? You know, I, I think that's a really important question, and I don't think that I'm the person to answer that, but I definitely have many friends who are carriers of Duchenne muscular dystrophy, and I know that that is a tough burden to carry. I think it's really challenging to know that you could possibly pass this disease off or that you may have passed this disease off to your son. So I have the utmost respect for moms or women who are carriers because I think it's it's a tough burden to bear and I think we don't give them enough support. I think we really need to put in place mechanisms to, at the time of diagnosis, embrace the, these women and to make sure that they are well cared for because I think we completely forget about them. Why is carrier screening important and who is eligible? Carrier screening is available to any woman who is interested in getting it. And I would encourage them to talk to their healthcare providers at their neuromuscular centers and clinics. And I know that there are funding sources that allow that to be taken care of. So yeah, I, th I think it's readily available, in, at least in the United States, um, for women to get it. And I would encourage, like I mentioned earlier, that everyone I think should get it. And, you know, I understand that there's emotional implications with that, but I think now that we understand that there's health implications to carrier moms that, you know, I think you owe it to your family to make sure that you're well cared for. And, you know, if you find out that you actually aren't a carrier, that your child does carry a novel mutation, then, then I think that you can rest easy with regards to the monitor, you don't need to get those cardiac MRIs and you, and you don't need to do the cardiac surveillance. But, it, but if you don't pursue carrier testing, I think you're obligated to do that because you just won't know. In what ways can carriers be more vigilant with regards to self-care beyond routine screening? And I think that's 
That's a really important question. I think that's an area where I think some additional investigation is needed. You know, one of the things that we've been worried about is, is you know, adult cardiologists who work in the field of myocardial infarction are appreciating the fact that stress can have an impact on your long-term cardiac function. And, you know, these are families that have a significant amount of stress. So finding ways to try to work through some of those issues and take the volume down in your life and in your family is important for all of us, no matter whether we're affected by Duchenne or not, but even more particularly important for moms who may be at risk for um, these types of myocardial events. You know, I think also watching your nutrition, doing all those healthy heart things that we're constantly reminded about every day, I think becomes even more important when you're at risk for cardiomyopathy. We can't overstate the importance of the multidisciplinary care team with regards to Duchenne and young boys. Is it naive to think that carrier moms could also benefit from this type of multidisciplinary approach? Oh, I think it's critical. You know, I think that the multidisciplinary clinic has to incorporate the carrier moms into the clinic. Not only the carrier moms, but the carrier siblings. And, you know, there's a hesitancy to have the siblings or the young women uh, be tested prior to their age of consent because we currently want to make sure that it's an educated and informed decision to pursue this genetic information. Um, but some of the younger women want to know that information. Some of the younger teenagers want to know. And, you know, there's a lot of ethical debates and decisions and discussions that need to occur to sort of help resolve some of these issues and make sure that everybody ends up on this journey in a good mental health place. Excellent. Thank you. Can girls get DMD? Girls can definitely get DMD. Um, and that is something that I think is underappreciated in the medical field. Girls get Duchenne because one of the X chromosomes will be what we call inactivated. And since the disease is carried on the X chromosome, usually the other X chromosome allows you to sort of not see the disease. But if one of the X chromosomes is sleeping and the one that's sleeping is the one that's normal, then girls can get Duchenne. What would you say to carrier moms who find support in social networks? Oh, yeah. I think that's a really important question because I think some of the social networks are amazing. Absolutely amazing. I would stick to large advocacy organizations. There are a number of high quality advocacy organizations in this field. You know, the one that I'm personally involved in is Parent Project Muscular Dystrophy. You know, things that tend to be associated with them tend to be of higher quality. And I don't want to discount the other advocacy organizations because I think that they're outstanding as well. Many of them are. And they also have networks that they support. Thank you, Dr. Kripe. And now we'll learn from Elizabeth Floyd a proud mother of four and caregiver of a son with Duchenne. Elizabeth will also kindly share the challenges she and her daughter face as carriers and her family's journey with the disease. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining us. What does being a carrier mom mean for you? So being a carrier mom, sometimes it's a little frustrating. I'm also caring for myself as well as my family. So there's a lot of frustration with that, but there's also some guilt with that as well because I am a carrier. So I am responsible for my son and my daughter having issues with Duchenne. 
how has being a carrier affected your life, including your health and your family? Being a carrier has definitely changed my life. So in the in the beginning, you know, you're you're diagnosed. So you're diagnosed as a carrier. But before you're diagnosed as a carrier, in my case, my son was diagnosed. So he was diagnosed with DMD. And then I went through the genetic testing. And that came back that I was positive for being a carrier. And with that brings a lot of change. So not only do I have this gene, but it also brought a lot of acknowledgement to some of the issues that I was having throughout my young life and my young adult life were related to Duchenne symptoms. And so my life ended up having to change a little bit. I can't be as physically active with some of the things that I, I once did because I have to care for my, my health and my family. It's affected my family in the sense of, well, mom's not always healthy all the time. Yeah. What are some things that you have done to manage your health, get information and support? So managing my health. So I can't do the activities that I once did. I was very physically active. I was um, a competitive swimmer and I'm no longer able to do those things because it's too hard on my body. But I also have to look at my my heart health and different things like that. So I've had to change my diet and find different ways to be physically active to stay healthy because I'm an important part of my family. So being healthy is still something that I have to pay close attention to. I've been able to get information and support through mostly websites and uh, social media. That's where I've come in contact with most of my resources. There's not a, a lot of resources within my community, but I'm able to find them through the internet and through research and on social media. I've also attended seminars and conferences, and those have been really great with information, but it also has shined a light on how much information is not readily available to the general public. Speaking to that, what type of information and or support would you love to see in the community? I would like to see more um, doctors, honestly. Generally speaking, our physicians, many of them, they don't have an understanding of Duchenne's by itself, let alone having patients that are carriers of Duchenne. Were you aware of Duchenne before your son was diagnosed? No, I had no idea. And um, neuromuscular disease, there's a few of those diseases that ro roam around in my family. So I knew about uh, muscular dystrophy, but I was not very um, understanding on Duchenne. I'd never heard of it before. And do you think that education within the community prior to diagnosis would have been helpful for newly diagnosed parents? Yes, definitely. Um, you know, I, I took my son to the pediatrician knowing in my gut that something wasn't right. And I had pediatricians tell me that, you know, I was kind of imagining it and I knew I wasn't. And so I had to really advocate for my son knowing that something wasn't right, even though I had no idea what wasn't correct with him. How do you feel that clinical trials are always focused around young boys and what changes would you want to see as a carrier? So clinical trials, as we know, are really focused on our younger boys. And 
it's important that they are, but it does feel like we are leaving out a large group because, you know, the women and the young adolescent girls are also not getting some of the attention that they really deserve. And the attention would also bring a lot to Duchenne, knowing where it actually came from and how it's affecting us, especially as a mother. As a mother, it changes how I have to do things with my son. You know, I have to care first for myself and then for my son, and that doesn't come very naturally. So I would like to see more trials aimed towards at least figuring out how to help our girls and our carriers, even though there might not be much medically that can be done to to help, but it would be nice to know if that's something that really isn't there or if we can really find a way to help us and help the girls. Because I, it is life-changing and life-altering. What are your thoughts on genetic screening? And could you talk to us a little bit about that process after your son had been diagnosed and then you were screened? The process of getting my son diagnosed was very uh, stressful and quick. So he started having issues. So they were quick on getting him genetically tested and getting those results. So once those results came back, we did focus solely on him for a little bit because we needed to get his medical care established. Once his medical care was established, we went further out into the family. So then the doctors all wanted to have the entire family tested. So, you know, we went to the geneticist and the geneticist had us do the genetic testing, so the blood draw, and the paperwork went out and, along with our specimens, and it took about four, four to six weeks, and those were some of the longest four to six weeks I've experienced in a long time. So waiting four to six weeks, then I get, you know, the call that our, that our results are in and that they wanted to meet with us. So went back to our geneticist, and she went through the results with us. Going through the results, you know, you're given this piece of paper that has all of this medical jargon on it and trying to process this, especially trying to process this after having your son recently diagnosed was very emotional. But going through it and figuring out that, yes, myself, I'm a carrier and yes, that my daughter is a carrier, but I also have two other children. My oldest son he is unaffected by Duchenne completely. And my youngest daughter is unaffected by Duchenne completely. So there was also the talk of why weren't they diagnosed? So the family also struggles through that. Why, you know, why are two of my children affected and two aren't? So going through the genetic reason as to why was also, it was a lot of information just all at once. But once the diagnosis was made and we were able to not move forward, but push through, it made things a lot easier once we were able to push through those results and start focusing on ourselves and our health. I agree. And I think that's the, the right phrasing. How was the experience for your unaffected children? And in what ways have they contributed to support of you and your son and your carrier daughter? My oldest son, he's 13, and he was nine when my son was diagnosed. And he actually stepped into a role of big brother a lot sooner than I thought that he really would. But it was really nice seeing him and how he responds to his brother. He's very helpful. 
but they also share a bedroom. So there is a lot of extra pressure that's kind of added to him that he feels. We try to keep those extra um, feelings and pressures off of him. But being 13 now, he understands that, yes, sometimes he does have this responsibility to look after his brother, even when mom and dad are around, that he still needs to step into that role. And then my youngest daughter, she's six and was two when my son was diagnosed. So she joined us with all the doctor's appointments. And she is honestly a beautiful, loving and caring person as a six-year-old because she's been through these experiences. I sometimes feel the guilt that she did go through those experiences. You've mentioned that there's tremendous guilt. Can you speak to that guilt, despite this being something that you're not in control of? So there is um, a thing called carrier's guilt. And carrier's guilt is something that, as a carrier, that it to me, it kind of lives within me. It's kind of that, that little bug in my head that keeps going, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. Knowing that it's not my fault, knowing very well that it's not my fault, it's still one of those, like, my body failed my son, my body failed my daughter, and then my body is also failing me. So it feels sometimes as though, not that I'm failing my family, but as though my body is failing my family, that my body failed my family. Um, that's something that's, it's really hard to push through the pain of that guilt, even though you, you know that, yes, it's not my fault. But it still lives there. It's kind of, it's just like that little bug that you just can't shake. It just stays right there. What are some of the ways that carrier moms can alleviate some of this carrier guilt? First, it's really admitting and knowing that you really are not at fault. It is not your fault. You, you would never want to give that to your child. You would never want your children to suffer like that. You would never want yourself to suffer like that, but it's, it isn't your fault. You know, you, you have to understand that it really isn't your fault. And once you realize, hey, it's not my fault, then you need to get on that path of it really isn't. But you know what I can do? I can go, it's not my fault but I'm going to make sure my family's taken care of. I can make sure that my family's taken care of by taking care of my physical health, my mental health, my emotional health. And once you're able to focus on that, it makes it a little bit easier to forgive yourself. It sounds like there's tremendous power in leveraging that guilt and using it as motivation to be proactive and caring for yourself and your family. I think that that says a lot about one's character. Definitely. I think that you you can't you can't blame yourself for everything, especially things you have no control over. And so finding that power within yourself, it, it gives you power to control how you feel, but it also gives you the power to support other people. Because I know there's other women that feel this guilt and can't get rid of it. And they really need a support system. And that's why I think it's really important that we really support each other. I think that's great. What would you say to other carrier moms who are struggling with a recent diagnosis or a discovery that they are in fact carriers? Perhaps they don't have children yet and they're planning a family. What are your words for them? The disease 
doesn't define you as a person. It doesn't define your family. And it doesn't restrict your family into this box that you think you can't get out of. It gives you the opportunity to find new ways to experience your family. In some ways, it gives you, um, while you're on a time frame, it gives you time to really enjoy your children, to enjoy the little things. And as a carrier, you may feel like it's your fault. It's not your fault, but you can make things better. And you just have to push through. It's hard at the beginning. It's frustrating at the beginning. It's honestly, it's sad. It's, you know, it, it feels like a loss, you know, and it, it's, it does. It feels like a loss. And it's really, you need to go through the feelings of the loss. But you can't let that loss become everything. And as a new mom, I, I believe that families are a family for a reason. You don't, you're not just a family because, because you're together. You're a family for a reason and you support each other. And it shouldn't matter what comes at you. You can handle it you can. As a mom, you can handle it. It's hard and you're going to cry and your heart's going to hurt. And those things are completely normal. They're completely natural, but you still have you still have your baby. Your baby's still yours. Your child is still yours and you know that you love them no matter what. What would you say to the carrier moms or carrier daughters who are not so outspoken or who are maybe more reluctant to step forward, what are some ways that they can seek self-care? Well, first off, I would say I was one too. I was very reluctant to step up to ask for help. And I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to find these things. And there are resources out there I wish they were more readily available, but they are out there. There are families, wonderful families, that will talk to you anytime. If you can find, you know, I know some wonderful families that I've connected with on like Facebook, social media, <laughs> on social media that um, have really dedicated themselves into finding a cure, but they also are very supportive and very understanding. And I think finding maybe someone that you connect with would help a lot, but also having your own support system. I think it's, I think you're a tremendous person and a tremendous spirit. I think your story will help countless people. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be able to share my journey. It's, it's heartfelt to be invited and thank you all so much for everything. Thanks, Elizabeth. Finally, we'll hear from PTC's very own Chief Scientific Officer, Ellen Welsh, who leads a team of researchers interested in different approaches to treating rare diseases. Dr. Welsh, it's a privilege to have you join us. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Could you talk about research now focused on females in Duchenne, carriers and manifesting carriers? Yeah, so so it, it, that's an interesting question because in terms of research, there's no 
true distinction in the lab between a carrier and a Duchenne boy. One difference, of course, is when we use an animal model, we can have a mouse model that uses females, where you'll have an X chromosome that has a mutation in dystrophin in mice. So for a female mice, both alleles, both X chromosomes in the female would have a mutation in Duchenne. So you can use female mice, but in the lab, we generally don't differentiate between a female and a male. But when it comes to thinking about females and Duchenne in clinical trials and treating them clinically, that gets into sort of an area that's very complicated. And it's really because there are not many manifesting female Duchenne patients. It's relatively rare. And part of that is because women that carry a mutation in the dystrophin gene on their X chromosome, there's a process in the body known as X inactivation. And what that means is that one of the X chromosomes in a woman, women have two X chromosomes, men have one, one of the X chromosomes in a woman can be silenced or inactivated for reasons basically for dosage, gene dosage in, in women. And if the X chromosome that carries the mutation in dystrophin is inactivated and the other allele, the other X chromosome does not have a mutation in the dystrophin gene, then that woman, she'll be a carrier, but she won't be a manifesting carrier. So she'll never exhibit symptoms of the disease, but she can pass along the mutation to her offspring, to her girls and her boys. If, on the other hand, though, the X chromosome that's inactivated is the chromosome that does not have the mutation in dystrophin, and the X chromosome that is active is the X chromosome that does have the mutation in dystrophin, that's when women can manifest a phenotype. And they're called manifesting carriers because the only copy of dystrophin that's available to that woman is the defective copy. And so those women can manifest. And generally, women manifest later. It potentially starts in their 50s. They often have either slight muscle weakness or a cardiovascular problem. But there are manifesting carriers who manifest at a very young age, similar to the phenotype a Duchenne boy might have, but they're very, very rare. So when we think about clinical trials or specifically studying females, it really doesn't get as much play because in general, manifesting carriers and carriers are so rare. But what does get a lot of play or get a lot of attention for carriers is genetic testing. It's really important for females to understand if they do carry a mutation in the dystrophin gene. Not all of them do. The interesting part about Duchenne is that 40% of patients with Duchenne have a spontaneous mutation in the dystrophin gene. So you don't have to, it doesn't have to run in your family. It can just be spontaneous. But for those families where they often have more than one person with Duchenne in the family, that's generally because it's been passed down through the mother. And it's really important for the mother and 
her female offspring to get sequenced to know if they they are a carrier and if if they will potentially pass along the mutation to their offspring. I think it's important just to be able to give women the opportunity to know if they're a carrier, maybe later in life they might manifest. If they have other children, will they pass the mutation along to them? It's just knowledge is power. And I just think it's it's important for people to understand if they have a mutation. And a lot of women do want to find out if they are a carrier. Of course. How can women in Duchenne carrier moms or manifesting carriers contribute to the advancement of research initiatives, either clinically or at the bench? Yeah, so I, I think that women can contribute. Um, basic research is always looking for ways to study women. For instance, is the natural history of women carriers and how they manifest? Is their natural history, how, how does that differ from for instance, patients with Becker muscular dystrophy. I think there's there's a need to understand how women progress with the disease so that we can make sure that we have the best therapy for them. Um, sort of back to the question that you had brought up about X inactivation. Are there ways that we can study deeper X inactivation? I, th- I think that's a general phenomenon you could study in women. It doesn't have to be a Duchenne woman. But I think women their voice, their participation where they can participate is important in anything that's science-based. Scientists are always want to compare, for instance, um, the gene signature of a Duchenne male with a Duchenne female, things like that. Um, so I, I think they can participate. I do think that for a manifesting care, there's just, there are not that many manifesting women. And so to just have a, a clinical trial that focuses on manifesting women, I think is is difficult. But I, I think a lot of the things that we learn from dystrophin can be applied to women, but they're an important part of the Duchenne community. And I think their presence at meetings and um, it's really important because to bring awareness to manifesting carriers is good for them too, because physicians will pay attention and and physicians do. I think with sequencing, not only to identify males with Duchenne, but to understand females with Duchenne, I, I think that's really been a breakthrough. It's easy to identify patients now. I think what's really going to be important for Duchenne as a community is um, newborn screening for Duchenne. That's on its way. And, and I think that will certainly help with the male population. And I think for for some carriers who manifest very early, it could potentially help them to, to get a, a diagnosis earlier, sort of not have this diagnostic odyssey that some manifesting carriers have if, if they manifested at a young age, because it's so rare. So the awareness of people telling their stories is really important. And what are your aspirations as a scientist working in the space? My aspiration would really be to find ther- a therapy that could really treat everybody with Duchenne. I mean, that that really is is something that would be so wonderful for the patients, their families, and to treat everyone, not just boys and men with Duchenne or Becker muscular dystrophy, but to treat women that that have the disease as well. And that's on the horizon. 
it will take a little bit of of time to really get there. But there's so many companies working in this space now that I, I think we will get there. There's no doubt that you and PTC remain committed to the Duchenne and rare disease community. What inspires that that commitment, that passion to pursue treatment for this community? I speak about PTC, but I'm sure it's the same at many companies. What's one of the most, probably the most motivating factor is the patients. I know at our company, we spend a lot of time having patients across different diseases come in and talk to us and we get to ask them questions, have lunch with them, take them around the lab, bring them to our manufacturing facility. It's really that closeness to patients that keeps people motivated. It really, you know, it's like people say, keep your eye on the prize. The prize is finding a treatment for a patient that needs it. And so that interaction with patients is critical, certainly to our company, but I'm sure that's the same for most companies in this space. It's, it's very motivating and it really keeps everything in perspective when you see a patient um, with the disease. Thank you, Dr. Welsh. And a special thank you to all of our guests today. We believe the strengths and experiences of these powerful women can change the world of Duchenne making life easier for patients and carriers in the future. So look out for additional bonus content from each of today's guests on future episodes of the Take on Duchenne North America podcast. And thank you for listening. Make sure you join us for the next episode. You can subscribe to the podcast series at ptcbio.com or your favorite podcast channel.